Um, so today uh, is going to be a little bit different than normal. Um, today in Canada is, uh, is a day for prayer uh, for the persecuted church, for those who are in um, captivity for the faith. And so who here has heard of the organization Open Doors? Open Doors, a bunch of hands. Okay, they're an organization that serves persecuted Christians worldwide. And so they have, they're, they're leading this initiative. And today the, the official title is One With Them, A Day for Christian Captives. And so this morning, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to just briefly uh, talk about a couple passages that uh, speak of persecution. And then I'm going to read three stories of, um, well, current stories of believers uh, and their captivity uh, for their faith. And then we're going to pray together. So that's the plan for this morning. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going we're to jump in. Father, thank you so much for today. God, you are good. You are worthy. And Lord, this is a... This is a heavy topic, and Lord, it's a, it's a topic that is hard to process sometimes, but Lord, I pray that you would just fill, fill us today, fill me today as I speak. God, I pray that you be glorified, and Lord, I thank you that you're good and that you're present and Lord, we just give this morning to you. Amen. Man, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 15. Uh, that's where we're going to start today. Uh, so John 15, verse uh, 1 to 17 is, is one of the more beautiful passages in Scripture about Jesus being the vine, that we're the branches. And then if you go to verse 18... It seems to take a bit of a turn. So John 15, verse 18, and we're going to read it all the way to chapter 16, verse 4. So John 15, verse 18, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for the sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour, uh, sorry, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. These are the words of their master. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. And you, you, re, you, you hear this, and you're like, why would, any, why would anyone want to stick around with Jesus? He's like, hey, just so you know, um, they're going to hate you if they hate me, and they're going to persecute you. And some are actually going to kill you and think they're doing service to God. And these disciples, they stick it out. This is the words of their master, but why, why? Why do they stick with Jesus? Because he's the way, the truth, the life. His words are life. He is good. He is the son of God. He's it. He's the only one. Anyone else that they could pursue, anyone else they could stick with, anything else they could go after would just be a counterfeit. Jesus is it. So they hear these words, 
And if you read in the book of Acts, they truly embrace these words. They're, in a willing, they're willing to give it all for Jesus. So Jesus warns the disciples that they'll be persecuted, okay? So this shouldn't be a surprise to see that there's persecution in the world. It's interesting, John 16, verse 2, or sorry, John 16, John 16, verse 1 says this, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus says this to the disciples as a gracious warning. He says, it's going to get harder for you. That's why I'm warning you, because I don't want you to fall away. I want you to stay true to me, stand firm with me, stay connected to me. Stay abiding in me. I mean, that's what he says just before this. Intense, it's, it's an intense word from Jesus for his disciples. So we're, gonna, we're just going to go briefly here. We're going to keep on going into Matthew chapter 5. So turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me. If you have your Bibles with you. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the back, or there's lots of Bibles. So, um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, this is the Beatitudes, this is um, Jesus talking. I should also say this, if you're in grade 4 to 6, you're dismissed <laughs> as well for Sunday school. I think I'm like 0 for 8 in my career with that, so if you see me coming up here, just leave. That's, okay, that's just how it works, okay. So, Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Man, we, we have such an upside-down kingdom that we're a part of. The world is say, if you're reviled, if you are, you know, canceled, if you are um, slammed or slandered, like that, you're not blessed for that. Jesus says, no, no, you are blessed for that. You're actually, your reward in heaven is great if you are persecuted, if you are slandered for my name. He said, you're actually you're actually part of the line of the prophets who were like this. You're part of the, pro the, the, the prophets of old. They were slammed for their message, for their belief in me. He says, you're, rejoice, rejoice. Man, it, it is hard to rejoice when someone insults us or puts us in prison or all these things. And yet we're called to rejoice because there's great reward in heaven. What an eternal mindset that we're called to have. I was having a conversation uh, with someone um, from our church, actually. I won't, I won't say who, but uh, they were at work and just in a conversation about something. And all of a sudden, they just flipped. And this guy that this person was talking to knew that he was a Christian. And he just started yelling and insulting him uh, for his faith. And this was, you know, this was in the last, within the last year, I think. And, uh, and just, he just, he, he ripped him to shreds, essentially. And that was in our context here. And so, uh, if you're here today, and that was you, you are blessed in the kingdom. You're blessed when others, others revile you and speak evil against you. In the sake, for the sake of Jesus. Matthew 24, 9 to 14. Turn with me to Matthew 24, 9 to 14. Uh, this is the passage where Jesus is talking of um, signs of his return, of his second coming. Matthew 24, verse 9 to 14. Here's Jesus talking. He says this, then, this is talking about in the time leading up before Jesus comes back. Verse 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. 
And because lawlessness will be increased, love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Then they will put you to death. Okay? Uh, you'll be hated by all nations, by all nations for my name's sake. All people are going to hate you because of Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. That's, once again, why follow this guy? This is the message he's telling his disciples. Why? But they, they love him. They know he's the son of God. They know he's the king. They know he's the Messiah. And perse- persecution calls for endurance. One who endures to the end will be saved. As we talked about in a previous message months ago, before the return of Jesus, darkness will rise in the world, but the gospel will be proclaimed and light will increase as well. And there'll be this darkness rising and this light increasing at the same time. And part of that darkness will be people who claim the name of Jesus and they will be delivered up to tribulation, up to death, into prison. And, uh, and so Jesus warns his followers of this. Let's turn to to Acts. Let's turn to Acts. We're doing a very brief um, run through of this, but turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. This is the story of the first um, follower of Jesus uh, to die for Jesus. This is the story of the first one. So Acts chapter 7, verse 54, and we're going to continue into chapter 8, verse 3. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, talking of Stephen. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison." So this is the beginning of persecution against the church. Um, I mean, obviously, Jesus was crucified. But after him, this was the first martyr, Stephen. And I find it very interesting that just as Jesus on the cross said, Father, do you not hold this against them, forgive them, Stephen does the same thing, full of the Holy Spirit. He says, do not hold this against them. Wow, that is someone who is radically loving their enemies, who is embracing the name of Jesus, and, and the suffering that goes with it. And I just want us to take note here, too, of who's the one that's approving of this? Saul. Well, there's a Bible trivia. It's a bit of an easy question, I think, but what, uh, who else is Paul? Or, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Rewind that. Okay, that's Paul. Yeah, so Saul and Paul, that's ridiculous. Okay, so Saul, as, he, as we continue on Acts, right, he, he's on his way to Damascus to, to get more Christians in jail, and he encounters Jesus, and he is known as Paul after that in, in many circles, um, and Paul ends up writing most of the letters in the New Testament, 
And so I, I just, just to pause here, if there's, there's someone in your life, maybe there's a family member, maybe there's a, a, a close friend that feels like they're too far gone or you've been praying for them and praying for them and praying for them and praying for them, Saul was literally putting like, Christians in prison and improving of their death. And this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 1. This is the same guy who was zealously persecuting the church. Philippians 1, verse 12 to 18. This is Paul, the persecutor of the church. This is Paul. Verse 12 to 18 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, has really served to advance the good news of Jesus, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The one who puts Christians in jail, who approves of their death, says, I just want Christ to be proclaimed. I, just, I rejoice that I'm in prison because everybody knows here I'm in prison for Jesus. Everybody knows that. And people are more bold to preach because I'm in prison. And that's good. He goes on in, in verse 21 to say, um, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yeah, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I don't know. Amen. Like, I would just like to depart and be with Christ I'm, just take me. I'm good with that. Take me. But I think it's more beneficial for you if I stay. The same, this is the same man who approved of the execution of Christians. So I just bring it back saying, if there's someone in your life that you've been praying for that doesn't know Jesus, that you're like, is there any hope for this person? Or maybe someone who used to be in the church, who used to follow him and has turned away and is living another life, they are not too far gone. Keep praying. Keep loving them. And uh, there's always hope. I mean, Paul labeled himself as the worst of sinners, so um, it can't be worse than him then, obviously. So keep, keep at it. Keep, keep loving them. Keep praying for them. And uh, yeah, we hope and trust the Holy Spirit will soften their heart. Second Timothy, this is Paul again. Second Timothy 3, verse 10 to 12. I just love it. This thing that stood out to me this week as I was prepping was just, I was saying with Paul and just how he was the one who persecuted and then this is what he's writing about. I just found it fascinating this week. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 10 to 12. You, however, he's talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Isonium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Wow. I just, that's ama it's amazing. This guy who, I wonder, I wonder if he was being persecuted by the same people that, that he had relationship with, that he was persecuting with. I wonder if he was being persecuted by the people he was persecuting with. I, that, that would just, if I was that person, I'd be like, man, this guy, we used to like do this together and now I'm coming after you. Like, that's like a, that's what movies are made of. It's just, it's amazing to me. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Godly lives will not line up with culture. Godly lives will not line up with the way our world works. And I love that this isn't like a command. Paul is just saying this is what it's like. He says, 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It's just, it's a matter of fact. It's a statement. He's not, he's not asking a question. He's making a statement. They will be persecuted. It's just how it is. If we are, if we are walking with God, if we are walking in step with the Spirit, it is just natural that we will experience some resistance in our life. It will happen. And so it's a good question to reflect on is, do you, do you experience resistance in your life because of your faith? And we don't go looking for resistance. We're not like, okay, I'm going to like, whatever it might be. I'm not going to go looking for resistance, okay? But do you experience resistance in your life because of your faith? Because if you desire to live a godly life, it should happen at some point. Um, and it could be with family. It could be with people at work. It could be um, maybe you post something on social media and you turns to a comment thread, which are usually unhealthy, but maybe it turns into something like that. Um, but do you experience resistance in your, in your life because of the faith? I think as, as our culture changes, as our world changes, and in Canada, it's becoming more and more, it seems every year, against the ways of Jesus. Um, I think we should expect more and more resistance by the way we, how we do life and how we live our faith and what we talk about and all that kind of stuff. One more passage. I just want to encourage you, if you do, you're blessed and your reward is great in heaven because you join the prophets of old. Hebrews 13, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to remember those in prison. We're going to remember our brothers and sisters that are suffering for the name of Jesus. We're called to do that. We're, we're, we're part of the same body. Not all these people that we read about will necessarily hold to the exact same doctrine that you and me hold to. First of all, you and me don't hold to the same. Like, there's no, none of us here will have the exact same theology or doctrine. But these are brothers and sisters in Christ who have given their life to him, very literally. So I'm going to read a couple stories, and then we're going to keep on going. This first story is, and I'm just going to read. I have them all written down, so I'm just going to read from my my uh, paper here. This first story is based on a real-life account of a North Korean Christian who was sent first uh, to first prison and then to a re-education camp. There are other details added from other prison accounts. Open Doors has heard stories like this from numerous North Korean believers, and disturbingly, the details are all eerily similar. Following Jesus in North Korea is enough to lead to imprisonment in these kind of conditions or can lead to immediate execution. Prisoner 42's story takes place every day for thousands of people around North Korea. Open Doors estimates there are 60,000 Christians imprisoned in North Korean prisons. Here we go. Your name is the first thing they take. Then they take your freedom. They take your health. They take away the presence of other people. They take your clothes and your hair. And finally, they take away the daylight. Drip by drip, like a faucet slowly running dry, you're left with nothing but your own mind and body, and both of those will eventually be stamped out by this place. My name is Prisoner42. Of course, this isn't my real name, but it's the name I was given when I came to this prison in North Korea. Every morning at 8 a.m., they call for 42. When I stand up, I'm not allowed to look at the guards. I have to get up, put my hands behind my back, and follow them to the interrogation room. I can see the shadows of the guards, but I'm careful to never appear as though I'm looking at them. Even though the same thing happens every day, each day, I am still so afraid. Each time they call it for 42, they beat and kick me. It hurts the most when they hit my ears. My ears ring for hours, sometimes days. But for now, at least I'm alive. I'm in the interrogation room for an hour each morning. Every day, they ask the same questions. 
Why were you in China? Who did you meet? Did you go to church? Did you have a Bible? Did you meet any South Koreans? Are you a Christian? After they are done with me, they bring me back to my cell. My cell is warm during the day and cold at night. And in the winter or summer, the temperature can be unbearable. It's so small, I can barely lie down. But I'm not allowed to lie down much anyways. I have to sit on my knees with closed fists. I'm not even allowed to open them. The place I live now is not fit for any, any human, but to the guards, I'm not a human. I'm less than an animal. I'm locked in this cage, the heavy door and locks slamming closed behind me, echoing in the dim light that never gets brighter in this place. I'm in solitary confinement because they suspect the truth. They can see through my denials in the interrogation room because I love Jesus. Am I a Christian? Yes. But I have to pretend. If I admit that I was helped by Chinese Christians, I'll be killed either quickly or slowly. The first Christian I ever knew was my grandfather, even though I had no idea at the time. On Sundays, he often told me to leave the house and play outside. I didn't understand why I didn't want to, but he forced me to. When I fled to China because of the famine in North Korea, I met other Christians for the first time. I was touched by them. They never really spoke about the gospel, but I participated in their worship services. Then one night, I dreamed of my grandfather. I saw him sitting in a circle with other men. There was a Bible in the middle, and all of them were praying. In my dream, I shouted at him, I'm a believer too. I gave my life to Jesus. Somehow, mysteriously, I realized I came from a Christian family in North Korea. One day, I was walking along the street in China, and a black car pulled up next to me. I thought the man wanted to ask for directions, but the driver and other men stepped out of the vehicle and grabbed me. I resisted, but couldn't get away. They pushed me into the car, and when the door closed and the car drove away, I realized that my life was over. After a few weeks in a Chinese prison cell, I was handed over to North Korean authorities. They brought me to this detention center. I had to strip off all my clothes, and they searched every part of my body to see if I had hidden anything, money especially. They shaved all my hair off and brought me to this prison cell. I was ordered to put on different clothes that didn't fit and didn't match, probably from a previous prisoner. That's where my name came from. The number 42 was printed on my prison jumpsuit. I was just another in a line of prisoner 42s. I wondered, what happened to the previous prisoner 42? Was she dead? Had she been executed, starved, or beaten to death, or simply wasted away like a faucet finally shut off? I suppose she could have been alive, but that was doubtful. Anyone who has ever heard about North Korean prisons knows, that's merely, that knows that merely surviving is a heroic tale. I'm so alone here. I know there are other prisoners. I can hear their voices, but I never see them. The only thing I see are the shadows of the guards and the light from the sun and moon as they pass over the small window of my cell. All I can do is pray, pray and sing in my heart, never out loud, only in my heart. It's been a year now. I don't know how long I will survive. One day they will call me and I won't move. I will have died in here in the dark. They will dispose of my body and the first new prisoner who comes in will take my prison clothes and become the new prisoner 42 and will wear my clothes. Will they survive this hell? Will they be bruised in the same place as I'm bruised? Will they cry out to God, the only one who seems to see what's happening to us in here? Will they die here like me? A prisoner 42 didn't die. She lived. Her life was painful and terrifying, but she survived. And eventually she was called out of her prison cell and taken to court. Going to court was a victory. People who are sent to labor camps for political crimes, crimes like following Jesus, rarely ever see a judge. They just disappear from the cells. I did go to court, but there was no lawyer to represent me. I just stood in front of the judge with guards behind me. But I wasn't alone. My husband was there, too. He looked at me with the saddest eyes I've ever seen. He had clearly been crying. I wanted to say so much, and I know he wanted to talk too, but we couldn't say a single word. The judge asked him if he wanted to divorce me. In a broken voice, he said, yes. It broke my heart, but he had to make this decision for the sake of our family, for our children. They would all be punished if he didn't divorce me. 
Then I was sentenced to four years in a re-education camp. That's where I am now. In the camp, I work 12 hours a day, sometimes more. Each day is just one long nightmare. But at least I'm not alone in a cell anymore. For an entire year of solitary confinement, my skin didn't touch a single ray of sunlight. Just to be taken from that cell, to be taken outside, and to feel the wind was amazing. When I first arrived at this camp, I saw moving, shapeless forms. It took me a moment to realize these were people. Some were bent over. Others were missing an arm or a leg. I looked at my own arms and legs. They were so thin. They looked like matchsticks. I didn't look much better than the other inmates. About a month ago, I was sick and allowed to stay in the barracks. I thought I was alone, and then I noticed the blanket in the corner. It was moving. I stared at it and realized there was a person underneath. I tiptoed towards the blanket and listened intently. The sounds were hardly audible, yet they sounded familiar. Suddenly, I realized what was happening. There was a woman, and she was praying. I went back to my mattress and watched her closely for the next several days. About a week later, we were working outside. Nobody was near, and I walked up to her and whispered, Hello, greetings in Jesus' name. Her face went white with shock. She knew if anyone overheard us, we'd both likely to be shot on the spot. But she saw that there was no one around and gave me a silent smile. We formed a secret church inside the camp. When we met and felt safe enough, we prayed the Lord's Prayer and recited Scripture and the Apostles' Creed together. She is much braver than I was. She speaks to others about Christ as well. That's probably why one day a car came to pick her up. When I saw her leave, I knew they were taking her to a death camp. That's the last time I saw her. I'm here in my barracks. God has been with me every day, every hour, every minute, and every second. Yesterday, it was announced that I would be released. I've only served two years. The first thing I'll do when I get out is find my husband and children. My children are much bigger now. We haven't seen each other in years. But God has watched over me. He kept me from giving up, even when it felt like I was being poured out. It turned out I was not merely a faucet running dry. Jesus gave me living water to keep me going when it seemed like I would fail. He kept me from ending my life. He helped me pray and cry out to him. I pray and believe that he watches over my kids every second of every minute of every hour of every day. I need to tell them about this loving God. That's story number one. That was something for me as I was reflecting this week. And I heard different stories. We're not going to get to every story, but, you know, stories of someone being in prison for 17 years and their family not being able to see them for 17 years. And I just would think about, I would think about my, like, my wife and my, my kids and not being able to see my kids because I'm in prison for Jesus. And I was like, I was like, Lord, that's, that's horrible. Like that, I can't even imagine. And that's, that's a reality for our brothers and sisters. I hear another story. Lucina's story, Lucina, we'll say Lucina. Lucina didn't choose to get married when she was 19. She was studying to become a doctor, taking every opportunity she could, she could find for extra learning. So when another girl asked if she'd like to come home to study with her, Lucina agreed and got in the car. When offered tea and cakes, a sign she was an honored guest, she accepted. The offer turned out to be a trap. Her friend had drugged the cakes, and when Lucina awoke, she was trapped, pressured into a forced marriage to the girl's brother, Eudis. Several months later, when the ongoing COVID lockdown was lifted, the police staged a dramatic rescue to free her from imprisonment. She was malnourished, bruised, and pregnant. Her brother, Salem, says she was almost dead. Even we could not recognize her at first glance. All her bones could be seen. She was not even able to stand and walk properly. Lucina's traumatic ordeal was a punishment for her faith in Christ. Sadly, her experience is part, is part of a trend. 
the Open Doors 2021 Gender-Specific Religious Persecution Report shows that in many parts of the world, sexual violence and forced marriage continue to, be, continue to be used as tools to shame Christian women and girls, to punish female converts, and to restrict the growth of the church. Lucina says, everything happened just because my family is Christian. We love Jesus, and I paid the most for it. Lucina's father, Boutros, is known as an, an evangelist in their South Asian community. Extremists, unable to tolerate the number of people turning to Christ because of his preaching, told him to stop. They attacked him. They threatened to kill him, but he wouldn't give up. That's when the extremists went one step further. To punish the family for their faith in Jesus, they targeted his daughter. They abducted Lucina and forced her to marry Judas. Lucina was a prisoner in the extremist home, forced to work like a maid. If she refused, they would beat her up. They also forced her to pray according to the village religion, saying that she had to because of her marriage. While in prison, Lucina's family searched desperately for her. Salem explains, we found nothing. After a couple days of searching, the entire country went under lockdown for COVID-19. We still continued our search for her, but failed to get any leads. When the government lifted the lockdown, the family that had held her prisoner left the house. Lucina managed to find a phone and, shaking with fear, called her sister. Immediately, Boutros rushed to the police station. The police found the house and rescued Lucina. Eudas was arrested for rape and eventually imprisoned. Lucina's abusers intended to harm her family's reputation. Yet Boutros, her father, um, his unquestioning acceptance of his shamed daughter is testimony to the character of God. The ultimate test came when Lucina shared her pregnancy. She said, a seed of evil is growing in me, and I'm waiting to see that face. What a cruel and inhumane thing this is. My future is finished. My hope is destroyed. I cannot show my face to my friends, relatives, nobody. Local culture demands a father reject an abused daughter. Yet Boutros has welcomed Lucina and her newborn son back into their home. He has directed the shame towards the perpetrator pursuing justice for, her daughter, for his daughter in the courts. The aim of the forced marriage was to end Boutros' ministry. Instead, he has shown the community a powerful witness of God's love and acceptance. Yet Lucina's future remains uncertain. She says, pray for me. I need protection, and I'm trying to forget everything. Pray that everything will be okay again. Though I know what is hard, I'm concentrating on my studies for now. That was during COVID lockdown. I'll read one more story, and then we're going to pray together. Shiden's story. A man in his 30s, Shiden became a Christian in his late teens. He knew the risks of following Christ. Sure enough, when he was in his early 20s, he was caught in secret worship and arrested with around 40 others. He went on to spend more than a decade in three different prisons. During this time, Shiden faced exposure to several temp severe temperatures, sickness-inducing lack of sanitation, and regular taunts that he could end his suffering by renouncing his faith. He refused to give in, and for that, he endured regular extended solitary confinement in a space that resembled in size and an atmosphere a coffin more than a cell. Once he was briefly released into national service, but when spies found a few precious sections of the Bible with him, he was back in solitary confinement for another three months. He saw no one. Shaden was eventually sent home unexpectedly and without any explanation. He was gladly reunited with his family, but the devastation wasn't over. Even the victory of leaving prison intact uh, wasn't enough to, start, uh, to save up the trauma. After all the physical and emotional torture, Shiden was a broken man. When he was released, he was too skinny. He stuttered when he spoke, his mother told us. Shiden struggled to come to grips with the fact that he had missed out on so much, education, career, marriage, fatherhood. So deep became his sense of loss and the battle to process all he had experienced in prison that his brother John and their mother feared for the worst. John told us, since his release, we have seen Shiden change in front of our eyes day by day. 
He fell into deep depression, and there are times when he is completely irrational. We have to watch him all the time, even at night, to make sure that he does not harm himself. John sobbed when Shiden shared some of the things he had been through during his incarceration. But it helped him understand to some extent what caused his younger brother's bouts of severe anger, followed by despondency that caused him to sleep for days. Sadly, most of the church's resources are channeled towards uh, supporting Christian prisoners and their families during the incarceration, leaving very little capacity to offer the specialized care long-time prisoners like Shida need upon release. Thousands of others who spent time in one of the many prisons that form part of the expansive network of formal and informal incarceration institutions face similar challenges. When we recently connected with Shiden's mother, the elderly woman told us, glory be to God, my child is doing so much better. Now when I give him food to eat, he eats. But Shiden's battle continues. John told us that Shiden still gets frustrated with having missed out on so many things while he was in prison and by the seeming lack of options available to him in carving out a fruitful life. Sometimes he gives up. He feels very lonely, John explained. I try to encourage him by telling him, God will strengthen you. God is here. Do not give up. You are a hero of the faith. He will recompense your love. When he feels sad, I remind him, do not look to man. You belong to God. He alone can help you. Hope in him. And although things do feel overwhelming at times, John remains hopeful because of the progress he has seen in his brother. God's grace is limitless. Although it has not been easy for him, Shiden has come so far and these days, Shiden often encourages me by reminding me of the story about the fathers of faith in Hebrews 11. He says, I will serve the Lord until I die. I want to serve the Lord for the rest of my days. I want to be a hero of the faith too, and one day in the future claim the crown of righteousness that is laid up for me, which the Lord will award to me on that day. The importance of prayer support cannot be overstated. The prayers of righteous people have availed much, John concluded. Please continue to pray for him. I believe God will continue to help Shiden. So what we're going to do is we're going to enter into our prayer time together. And we're going to pray for persecuted Christians. See if this is going to work. All right. So. We're going to pray for healing for those who experience much hardship, like Shiden, for their faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to pray for those in captivity, that they would know God's love and his presence, for their miraculous release, that many would come to know Jesus through their witness. We're going to pray that persecuted believers would stand firm and not fall away from Jesus. And we're going to pray for protection of families of believers who are targets against persecution, just like the story of Lucina. And that's what encourage us. The story of when, when Peter and John are in prison, and they're miraculously released. Though they, they're miraculously free. They escape from prison, and they go to the house church. And what is the house church doing? They're praying for Peter and John. For their release. And the person that comes to the door can't even believe it. Like, that's not, that can't be Peter. It is. It is. And so when we pray, it's not just a, re a religious act. Like, we're not just doing this to check a box. Like, our prayers this morning will affect people's lives across the world because that's what good God is. It's not that we're special, <laughs> we're not that great. But God is so good, and He chooses to answer the prayers of His people. So I invite us all to stand, as we normally do on a Sunday morning. And I'll get some prayer music on in the background. And this is going to be our prayer slides for today. And so I just want to encourage us to press in here and fight for our brothers and sisters across the world. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much.
Father, we give this all to you. We thank you that you see everything that's happening, Lord. We just pray your hand of protection, healing, freedom, love on those imprisoned or in other forms of captivity for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Um, thank you for praying. If you come tonight, we're going to spend some more time, hear some more stories as well, praying for the persecuted church. So as we close this, this is like, it's, a, it's very heavy this morning. On our, it's very, very heavy. Um, and uh, and so the question is, well, what's next? So we hear all this stuff about persecuted Christians, and what's next? How do we respond to this? Well, first thing we do is we pray. I mean, if you read these different organizations are stories. That's the first thing everyone, just pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. We believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. Pray. So we pray. We pray together. We, we ask the Father to intervene in these situations. Um, we pray for them. Second, and there's, there's organizations that are trying to help and, and serve, and, and so we, we give. We give financially. We give sacrificially. I think of the words of Paul, he says, consider others of more significance than yourselves. And I was thinking with this this week, and if I was in their shoes, would I want the people that have the money to give sacrificially for me, for my family, brothers and sisters? And this, is, this actually isn't a guilt trip. This is more of a, let's consider how we can give and support organizations. I'm not, I'm not representative of Open Doors. I just think they do good work. And there's other organizations that are on the ground serving and caring for our brothers and sisters? And would we, would we consider limiting some things in our life so we can give more to those in great need, brothers and sisters in great need right now? So I think that's, that's another thing we do. We give to different places. Or maybe your heart is stirring. You're like, I want to get involved. And, you know, there's, there's places you can get involved with. And finally, I think... What we need to do this morning is, is have a time of just examining ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. And the stories you read today, there's many, 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 many more stories. They, their lives are literally laid down for Jesus. Literally laid down for Jesus. They, they know what's at stake. They know the many places, they, you know the cost family shame, losing your job, kicked out. And this isn't just for adults, it's for kids, you know, getting kicked out of schools. Could be your life ending. They know, this, they know the stakes, and they're willing to say yes to Jesus. They're willing to say yes to Jesus. They've seen the beauty and the worth of Jesus. I think of Paul in Philippians 3 where he says, that he, well, I'm just going to read it. Paul in Philippians 3. Says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. They see the beauty and the worth of Jesus, and it's, it's worth laying down their life for. And so a question that, that we need to ask ourselves is, is are we in that place this morning? And that, that's, for, that's for me, that's for every one of us. Are we in a place where we, oh, I'm willing to lay down my life for Jesus? Because that is the reality for 
probably the majority of believers in the world, that their lives are literally at stake for Jesus. And so are we there today? Are we willing to lay down our life for him? Are we willing to ruffle a couple feathers for Jesus? Are we willing to do that? And that's something that the Holy Spirit needs to do in our hearts. And as we encounter God more, as we know him more, that's something, if we begin to see his beauty and his worth, and 6,000 years from now, 25,000 years from now, 6 million years from now, we won't even have thought about that decision. It would have been the easiest decision in the world. So I just want to invite the worship team up for a final song. And um, let you guys get set up here. But as we close our gathering here this morning, um, we're going to sing a final song. It's called uh, I Surrender. And uh, we sang it here a couple times. And as we sing this song, would that be our, would that be our heart as we, as we enter in as, as a time of reflection of, Lord, I want to surrender to you. I want to know you more. I want to know your worth more. Would you, would you help me? to be willing to do whatever for you, Jesus. And so I just invite you to stand. And I'm just going to pray and just invite the Lord just to work in our hearts and to, and to search us. And then invite just to respond to Jesus in this song. So Lord, I just ask that you would that you would just examine us, God, that you would search our hearts, Lord. Lord, that we would be like so many of our brothers and sisters across the world, willing to lay down our lives for you. Willing to give it all for you, Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would just be guiding us and speaking to us right now, stirring us, Lord, give us a glimpse of your beauty here, of your worth. Praise your name, Lord.